So I'd like to speak tonight about the power of balance and the importance and role of balance in our practice. Think for a moment about balance, about moderation, thoroughness, equanimity, carefulness, restraint. Are these qualities that you value, that you want to develop? Sometimes people think, oh, balance, it doesn't sound really very exciting. But balance is actually much broader than what we might think of as a neutral feeling, and it is certainly not mediocrity. The balanced mind is absolutely vital for the development of mindfulness, of concentration, and of insight. The ability to go deep in our practice is not determined so much by the amount of effort that we make, the striving that we do, or the intensity that we build up. I've actually seen people put forth an enormous amount of energy and drive themselves sort of over a spiritual cliff because they didn't balance their effort, they didn't balance their practice, and drove themselves instead with a kind of arrogant mental force well beyond their actual abilities. So we have to be sensitive to what the conditions are in the present moment, the inner conditions, our meditative skills, and the external conditions. Are we grasping for success? Are we terrified of some possibility that we could fail meditation? (laughs) What would that be? What would that be? We can create a kind of... um, over uh, valuing of intensity that builds the intensity to the point of a kind of um, emotional crisis, hoping for catharsis, but actually ending up in crisis. Of course, this is rather extreme to get to the point of a kind of um, meditative nervous breakdown, we might call it. Um, But I do think we have to be very sensitive to the way that we drive ourselves so that we don't push ourselves, but we instead wisely guide ourselves. I find that depth in meditation occurs when we can skillfully balance the mind so that a profound and genuine and deep release occurs. So I want to discuss several aspects or arenas in which we can explore the experience of balance. And the first, of course, could be the body and the posture. Practicing meditative awareness is a way to build up a continuity of mindfulness. Mindfulness in our movements, mindfulness in our posture, composure in all our activities. The effort to bring composure to our experiences throughout the day has to be not too tense and not too lax, not too tight and not too rigid, not too relaxed, or we'll slump and kind of sog, kind of like get soggy in our in our physical experience, but also not too tight or we'll get too uh, rigid. 
the engagement with the body, with posture, with movement, must be responsive to the environment. It demands a lightness in response to the force of gravity, a sensitivity to the pressures that we are experiencing, perhaps in relationship to gravity. Do you feel balanced right now in your posture? How do you feel when you're sitting? Does the weight feel relatively even on both sit bones? Is your spine relatively upright, aligned with gravity? Or perhaps when I brought attention to the posture, you might have made a little adjustment. Almost automatically, before we're mindful of the condition in the present moment, we're already trying to fix it. This, there, of course, can be value in adjusting our posture, but sometimes I think we first have to experience the habit very clearly, very vividly, very mindfully, and then consciously adjust it rather than kind of unconsciously try to avoid whatever discomfort might be there. When I talk about posture, sometimes people get all straight, but it's really kind of like a puffed out tension, like a military kind of chest out, stomach in sort of tension. That's really not going to sustain, sustain us in meditation practice because we sit for relatively long periods of time. We have to be comfortable. We have to use the force of gravity and our intentions, not muscular strength, in order to allow a release. When we're aligned in that dynamic postural relationship to the core of the earth, to the force of gravity, then the experience will be one of lightness. We'll move gracefully, nimbly. The breath will flow easily and the mind will find balance in this dynamic, physical sense of stability. One of the images that I like is of a sailor who uses the force of the wind to propel the boat to its destination. Similarly, a meditator learns to relate to the conditions that affect the body and mind in ways that propel us closer to the goal. So how do we position ourselves in relationship to gravity in in the context of the posture, in relationship to the seat, to the floor? How do we position ourselves in relationship to the events in life so that the experiences that we have the encounters that, we, that occur stimulate growth and wisdom and aren't putting a pressure on the mind or the body such that it would cause exhaustion. Sailors don't get angry with the wind. They don't fight against the wind. They work with the wind. In the Visuddhimagga, the description set, uh, describes a a skipper who is too eager so that he hoists his sail in a high wind and sends his ship adrift. But a too hesitant skipper lowers his sail in a light wind and is not able to navigate the waters. But it says, quote, one who hoists full sails in a light wind and takes in half his sails in a high wind so arrives safely at his desired destination. 
Can we moderate the way that we meet our experience? The pleasant experience, the unpleasant experience, the concentrated experience and the distracted experience. We don't need to fight with the body and mind. We can learn to position ourselves skillfully enough to use the conditions of body and mind to support our aim. We can also consider balance as a quality of mindfulness, presence. Right mindfulness is a state that is balanced by uh, its characteristic includes balance. When we're mindful of present experience, we're free from the attachments of desire and aversion. We're free from lust and hate. So by developing mindfulness, whether we're mindful of body, feelings, emotions, thoughts, we're bringing a balanced attitude toward the events, towards all our perceptions. So practicing mindfulness, we can be equally attentive to experiences that are soft or hard, that are hot or cold. We can be just as mindful to a sound and to a scent to something pleasant and unpleasant as we are to a thought or a mood or a sensation. We can be attentive to anything that's experienced, that is experienced without the reactivity of lust and hate. In the Middle Link Discourses, there's a passage that describes how the Buddha approached the experience of eating. And it says, when he receives rice, He does not raise or lower the bowl or tip it forwards or backwards. He receives neither too little rice nor too too much rice. He adds sauces in the right proportion. He does not exceed the the right amount of sauce in the mouthful. He turns the mouthful over two or three times in his mouth and then swallows it. And no rice kernels enter his body unchewed and no rice kernels remain in his mouth. Then he takes another mouthful. He takes his food experiencing the taste, though not experiencing greed for the taste. It's a very balanced relationship to eating. It's important to remain balanced when there's joy as well, when there's rapture and delight, when there's calmness. We can bring a balanced attitude towards what appears pleasant and successful so that we don't get too exuberant, too excited, too conceited about whatever appears good that's happening in our practice. Conceit can all too easily latch on to meditative experiences and stall our development. So we, but we also need to maintain a balanced attitude toward any hindrances that might arise so that we see them as they are. These are hindrances. They are forces that obstruct and hinder the deepening of our concentration and the development of our insight. And with that balanced attitude, we don't ignore them. We meet them, we work with them. We work skillfully, mindfully, attentively to them. A third approach to balance 
is very related. It's to just simply bring this non-reactive balanced attitude to pleasant and unpleasant feelings. Things are always changing in our practice, in life. Feelings are always changing. Emotions are always changing. Do we have a sense of balance and softness and acceptance with the ups and the downs? What might appear to be successes or appear to be failures? What might seem like the easy moments or the difficult moments of the meditation? Can we ride the waves like a surfer, the ups and the downs, calmly, skillfully responding to those movements, present in those conditions, whether they're pleasant or unpleasant? Do we fully, completely accept the fluctuations of pleasure and pain throughout the day? Or do we still hold on to an idea that pleasure is good and should be there and pain is bad and shouldn't. In the Samyutta Nikaya, there's a lovely discourse where Venerable Mahakachana makes a suggestion, a very useful suggestion to one of the householders. And he says, here, householder, having seen a form with the eye, one understands... Having seen a form with the eye, one understands an agreeable form thus. Such it is. There is eye consciousness. and independence upon contact to be experienced as pleasant, there arises a pleasant feeling. Then having seen a form with the eye, one understands a disagreeable form thus. Such it is. There is eye consciousness and independence on contact to be experienced as painful, there arises a painful feeling. Then, having seen a form with the eye, one understands one that is the basis for equanimity thus. Such it is. There is eye consciousness, and independence upon contact to be experienced as neither painful nor pleasant, there arises a neither painful nor pleasant feeling. And, of course, the sequence is repeated for the other sense stores. For having heard a sound with the ear, having smelt an odor with the nose, having t- savored a taste or a flavor with the tongue, having felt a tactile object with the body, and having cognized mental phenomena with the mind. <clears throat> Whatever occurs, pleasant, painful, or neutral, any feeling... Do we have the thought, such it is? What a very balanced attitude that would be. We would be mindful, we would be present, we would be experiencing it. As it is, such it is. So much of our experience is beyond our control. So it's a wonderful training to learn to meet experience Pleasant, painful, or neutral, as it is. This is how it is. We may sit down and meditate, to meditate, and feel one way, but we're not going to feel the same way 20 minutes later. Conditions change, feelings change, experiences are all changing. 
But often meditators judge their experience and erroneously try to assess how well they're doing in the meditation, often based upon a criteria of does it feel good or does it feel bad, and use feeling to try to measure or predict or assess our progress in meditation. But feeling really is not such a useful or accurate or worthwhile criteria. Sometimes things are pleasant and not very um, useful in our meditative development. And sometimes things are difficult, painful, and they lead to great insights and deep peace. The unfolding of our practice and our development may not occur as we expect or on our timeline. In the Sutta Nipata, it says that what people expect to happen is always different from what actually happens. From this comes great disappointment. This is the way the world works. Do we accept that? Can we meet all the various conditions that occur, even if it's outside the range of what we expect? Can we allow our practice to unfold and not judge ourselves harshly and yet continue our practice, be diligent, trust the development, practice with steadfastness but ease and patience? We don't try to make experiences happen in meditation, but we do need the commitment to be mindful of whatever is happening. There are times in our practice when it would be easy to be thrown off balance, perhaps, maybe by some emotional reactivity. We all have emotions. We feel we are moved. We are touched. Something's hurt. Some things feel quite delightful. We don't walk around in some kind of neutral state 24 hours a day, seven days a week, not even in retreat. We respond to whatever it is we encounter, whatever it is we perceive. We engage with life, even if the, the routine of our lives are very, is very simple, you know, waking up and doing sitting and walking meditation all day. Mindfulness supports a very intimate engagement with life. And yet, due to the profound balance inherent in mindfulness, it's possible to also meet experience vividly, but with a deep equanimity, a profound equanimity. We feel the pleasantness. We know the joy. But along with the joy comes a profound equanimity with it. We feel the pain, but we're not overwhelmed because there's an equanimity that can be included in the experience of pain. Mindfulness is imbued with equanimity. And this helps take the sting out of difficult emotions, creating the space to be present with our feelings rather rather than in reaction to them. 
Mindful of feelings, mindful of emotions, mindful of mental states, we become quite intimate with life so that we're not just grasping after more pleasant experiences and turning away from the unpleasant. We're open to the experience that we're having. Sometimes people put a lot of pressure on themselves to succeed in some predetermined idea of what they wanted to get out of this particular retreat. People can put a lot of pressure on themselves to have a spiritual experience, to get concentrated. And this not only might lead to disappointment, but it can lead to a sense of being out of balance with the actual experience that we're having. We have to trust our practice, trust the mindfulness, trust this path to unfold. Let the practice grow. Let our skills develop. We don't have to be super intense about our practice to be diligent. We don't have to force anything to happen in order to be mindful. Every person is responsible for balancing their own minds. Nobody else can balance our mind but ourselves. We each monitor the development and the state of our own minds in meditation. This kind of monitoring is a sensitivity to notice when we're going out of balance. It's not a big judgment of how well I'm doing and am I doing it right. It's a sensitivity to are we getting out of balance, too tense, maybe I could relax more, too lax, maybe I could bring up the energy more, too happy, joyful, I'm getting disconnected, maybe I can calm a little, too calm, maybe I can find some delight in experience. Sometimes we feel ourselves getting out of balance, a little disoriented, a little bit out of whack. And we can take a step back, regroup, open to hearing the sound of the dripping rain or the the sound of the heater. Um, Look out the window and see one day we're sitting in the middle of of a cloud and another day the sun is shining and sparkling on the ice on a branch. We might need to open our eyes sometimes if we're really lost in story and fantasy to find the balance of remembering where we are. We're right here. Even if our fantasies are about having a great spiritual experience and being enlightened. Uh, It's better to open our eyes and know where we actually are than be lost in even the greatest of fantasies. We let go of the conceit that builds up a spiritual self-image or craves for spiritual successes. And we can always simply tune in to the experience of the body right now to help balance the mind. We can use the body as a physical support. We might even engage in some moderate exercise, movement, qigong, walking, yoga, or just simply sense the space that this body currently occupies, the shape that it's sitting in, and the sensory experience of just sitting here now in this particular formation. 
Inevitably, we're going to encounter periods when we're a little disappointed, perhaps, with what's happening in our practice. So we must learn to cheer the mind when it gets dejected, calm it when it gets exuberant, and encourage it when it gets discouraged. How do we uplift? How do we inspire our minds when we need a little boost? The Buddhist tradition is filled with um, different suggestions for uplifting and inspiring the practice. Many of them are reflections. We might develop the um, intention and the attitude of goodwill, of benevolence, of loving kindness and friendliness. This can really soothe um, aversive states and calm and quiet the critical voice. We can let a recollection of the qualities of the Buddha inspire a sense of possibility or a recollection of generosity or virtue, bring a a, a sense of quiet joy and inner confidence, self-esteem. We might engage in a reflection on death to bring forth a sense of urgency or a reflection on kama and causality and the potency of wholesome actions to highlight the the incredibly valuable um, opportunity that we have right now and right here. It took a lot for all of us to get here. And we're here now. How are we going to use this time, this opportunity? We can broaden the range of possible responses so that we lighten our expectations a bit, perhaps, by viewing practice as simply a gradual development. Whatever's happening, can we be with that and can we learn something from that? One of the things we learn is to apply balanced effort. This may be one of the most important meditator's skill, is to balance our energy, balance our effort. The ability to apply this effort is critical for developing a continuity of mindfulness, for deepening our concentration, and for being able to sustain a deep and penetrative insight into phenomena. There are so many discourses that describe this, the importance of effort, diligence, vigilance, heedfulness, I want to just mention a few similes that we find in the Visuddhimagga. Um, One of them is of a surgeon's pupil. So a surgeon is is learning how to use the scalpel. And they're trained by putting a dish of water with a lotus uh, leaf floating on the dish of water. And they, they should be able to learn to use the scalpel so that they can cut through the leaf. If they're too eager, they're going to poke at it with such strength that it submerges and presses the leaf underwater. Not so good. And if they're too fearful, they're going to be afraid to touch it and not be able to make that clean, straight uh, cut in the leaf. So what is the balance of effort, of strength, 
what would allow that surgeon to make the cut. Another, um, not too much and not too little. Uh, there's also a, a, a simile of a, a, an illustration of a king who says, anyone who can draw out a spider's thread to four fathoms long will win a great reward. Now, somebody who is really eager to get that reward tries to pull out the thread too hurriedly. It's going to break. It's not going to work. Um, And somebody who is too timid is going to be afraid to even touch the spider. But somebody who can accomplish this task with neither hesitation nor force, but with balanced and sustained effort, will be the one to win the prize. I like to think of meditative practice as being in it for the long run. You know, each each retreat is not the, the, the sprint to enlightenment, but we're taking one step and another step and another step, each step bringing us into the present moment, and this present moment is our path. It's a trusting of the path. It's a trusting of the process. As we observe the process that we're each engaged with, we'll notice the qualities of the mind. Are the five spiritual faculties balanced? Are the seven awakening factors balanced? The five spiritual faculties include faith, energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. We have to balance the faith and the wisdom in particular and the energy and the concentration. But of course, mindfulness is always inherently balanced. But it's possible to have too much faith because if the faith is too strong, without the support of wisdom, we'll become gullible. And if there's too much wisdom and no faith, we're going to be so critical and so fault-finding and so argumentative that we'll never bother to try the practice. If there's too much energy, we'll become restless. If there's too much concentration, we'll become dull. But when they're in balance, the practice becomes deep and strong. Similarly, we can balance the awakening factors. The awakening factors, again, are a system where mindfulness is inherently balanced. And then there are three arousing factors and three stabilizing factors. Investigation, energy, and joy arouse the energies. And tranquility, concentration, and equanimity settle the mind. The simile that's used is of a grass fire. When is it the right time to add kindling into dry grasses to the fire so that the blaze gets increased? And when is it the right time to sprinkle water or put wet cow dung on the fire to cool it, to calm it? If we're restless, the mind is agitated, and the fire is already really hot, It's not the time to throw in more energy and get more joyful and excited. It's time to cool the system. So we have to have the wisdom to know not only what the current condition is, but what an appropriate shift might be, energetic shift, 
to keep the mind in balance. Balancing the mind is a skill that's based in wisdom. We have to observe, reflect, try something, and see how it worked. Learn something from that. There are many approaches to meditation, many lists we can learn of good Buddhist qualities to develop and to balance. But one of the basic features to observe in every unbalanced state is that there will be some sense of fixation, stiffness, clinging, attachment. But when you watch great athletes, dancers, surfers, skateboarders, horseback riders, any kind of athlete... You might notice that they're strong and toned, yes, but not stiff. They're not gripping the experience. They're moving with it, moving through it, in a fluid and responsive relationship to what is present. And as skilled and able meditators, we move with our experience. We're mindful, not of our experience from a fixed perspective of a fixed thing. But our mindfulness is engaged with experience in such a way that it is continuously restoring balance. Whenever we get a sense of being thrown off by some event, some desire, some aversion, some memory, some habit, some pattern, some something, whenever we notice that we're trying to hold on to something and it's changing anyway, that we're fixed on a view and it isn't actually the way things are, that we're demanding that our craving be satisfied and the world is just not cooperating, or that we identify as being a particular someone and we're not getting recognized for being that someone. We notice that we're a bit just out of harmony with the flow of things. We've become stiff, unresponsive, perhaps a little confused and separated. So when we fall off balance by this self-grasping, self-conceiving, this thought, I am, I was, I will be, instead of continuing to reinforce and cherish that self-interest and those personal preferences and that place to stand... We can value balance. Balance may not be so exciting, but it offers a sublimely peaceful and effective response to experience. So I'll leave you with those thoughts for this Dhamma talk tonight. We can have a couple of quiet minutes together and then um, just continue to meditate or depart as you wish. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.